we had several days of really cold weather. I think maybe like nine days is what they said that it wasn't below, above freezing. I mean, that's, I know for some places like up north, they're going to say, yeah, that's nothing. But I mean, for us, it's, it's something new. Now, how many of you this morning can actually say that, yeah, my faith was tested this weekend. It really was tested. And my faith was showed, shown to be not really where I thought that it was at. I know that that's me, number one. Because rather than resorting to prayer, I kind of did resort to a little bit of complaining. You know, what, why, what are they doing with the light? Why are they turning off the light? And, and then the water's going to freeze. And, and, and so much complaining, right? And, and we stopped to think about, wow, what about the people that really need electricity because they have some kind of medical issue that they rely on that? Right. Rather than thinking about those things, I know for me and what I'm trying to say is that in every situation in our life, everything that happens, even a death, even problems in our marriages, even all these things, whether we caused it, whether we were the problem or not, God has allowed it for a reason. Everything that happens, God has a hundred percent knowledge of it. There's nothing he doesn't know of. Nothing catches him by surprise. So if it happens, he allowed it. Yes, he allowed August 31st last week to happen. He could have stopped it like that, but he didn't. He allows so many things the same way he allows good things to come upon us, right? Though that's something that falls under the umbrella of the sovereignty of God, because if God can just stop whatever, I mean, how can I say it? God is not the author of evil, right? But he allows things to come upon our lives. But he always, for his people, he wants to do something greater. So I've always said that God's number one concern isn't our comfort in life. How good are you doing? Are you warm? You got electricity? Uh, your marriage going good? That's not his number one concern for none of our lives. Now, I know that that's not necessarily what's preached today, but God's number one concern for every single one of us, young, old, man, woman, is our character and who he is. What kind of character do we have in Christ? That's his number one concern. And so, you know, we, we realize those things. And this weekend was a great trial. It was a great test for all of us. You know, uh, a lot of people died. Actually, I, somebody told me this morning that somewhere around 50 people died. I didn't realize it was that many. But can you only imagine freezing to death? The only one I read of, 11-year-old boy. I mean, that that's sad. If that doesn't bring something right here, it's like, I, I don't know. Yeah, he wasn't my son, but he was somebody's son. And nobody should have to die that way. I mean, that's just a tragic a sad story. Did God know about that? Yeah, he did. Could God have caused that to the electricity to be turned back on? Yes. The thing is, we don't always understand what God is doing and we don't know why he's doing it. Uh, but, but, but you can guarantee he wants to bring us to a greater place of trust in him. Remember one time I said that what's easier to say, God, speak to the storm and make it stop? Or speak to my heart and make it be still in the middle of the storm. 
God gets more glory like that, right? And that's why we gather. That's why we, right, expound the word of God. Let's see how we can glorify God. I don't want to glorify myself. I don't want to glorify you, right? We're not to be uh, please, uh, to please man or anyone else. But when we, when we, when the word of God is brought forth and God is glorified, of course, man, if he is God-centered, is going to be gratified through that. So it was a trying time for a whole lot of people. I mean, it was difficult. And it's still going to be difficult for other people that are having to bury loved ones and, and, and whatnot. And I think that if there was ever a time for the church to shine, it's in that time right there, in a situation like that. And it's not just about saying, look, I'm going to open up my church so that you can come or we're going to take you food. Yes, those things are good. But that's the perfect opportunity where we can display and minister the word of God to other people, to our neighbors. Right. That's a perfect opportunity right there. And so that's something that I think we should always consider in our mind, because uh, Exodus chapter six the Lord appeared to Moses and he's telling Moses to go talk to Pharaoh. And Moses said, he's not going to listen to me and the people aren't going to listen to me. He said, in times past, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and they knew me as God almighty. They knew me as El Shaddai, the most powerful God. They knew me as the support and the comfort and the helper. But to you, I want to be known I don't want to appear to you. I want to be known as the Lord, which is Yahweh, the Lord God, through salvation. Because we know the Lord through uh, one way, and that is through salvation. That's the ultimate way of knowing God. See, we a lot of us know him, right? He provides for us. He gives to us. He is a healer. He's so many things. But the point is to know him as Lord. I'm God. You're not. Trust in me kind of like the parent-child relationship. I'm the father. I'm the parent. You're going to do as I say, right? And, and we follow. And there's a lot more benefits from there, right? Our kids can protest, but it's only, they're only making life difficult more for themselves, right? Dads, we know that. You're only making it harder for yourself. You kick and scream and, and push and shove, but it's not going to change nothing. Now, it is starting to change a little bit. Kids know what they do. And if I kick a little and scream a little, I'll get my way, especially if I do it in public. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of the mirrored image of what's happening in the church. Uh, as, as believers, we're starting to kick and scream a little to want to get our way. And it's not necessarily that God gives us our way, but he gives us into our way. If that's what you want, then go ahead, have at it. And, and then we'll see. But today we're going to see in John chapter 13. Uh, something that I think is very broadly gone over. Okay, we're going to see that Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. We're going to be covering verses 1 through 17. And I'll go ahead and, and, and read them. Verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, 
He loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, you're washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. God, we ask that you give us full understanding of what it is that you are trying to relate to us this morning, Lord. We seek the light of your Holy Spirit through the scripture that it will shine on our hearts. God, may you Cause me to speak with the, with the clarity, God, with an understanding as that way which you have ordained it. And may you bring a comfort and an uplifting and an encouraging word. Yes, even through conviction, even through rebuke, God. Because rebuke is one of your most wonderful blessings. Conviction is a wonderful blessing, God, because it draws us closer to you. May you give us ears to hear. We ask you, God. Amen. So before understanding all this, we know that as the time is getting closer, right? It says that the hour had come. We're like a pro Jesus in his final hours now. Like last week, we were talking about him being in the last week of his time walking on this earth. Now we are in the final within the 24 hours. I mean, the clock is ticking. So imagine if you only had like 24 hours to live, what would be going through your mind right now? I mean, there's a lot of things you probably write off, say, I, I know what would be going through my mind. Maybe just, I don't want to go yet. But Jesus knew that this was going to happen. It was ordained from the beginning of time. There was nothing that could change it. So imagine what he felt, right? Uh, 
John chapter 12, he said, my soul is troubled, right? It was harassed inside. So many things happening because of what he was fixing to endure. And then, so we know that's happening inside of him. And then all of a sudden, it's like the scene changes. And now he's apart, right? He went and hid himself. He's not talking to the Jews or the Pharisees or anybody else no more, but he's talking with his disciples. So it's a more intimate setting. You could say yes, but partfully no, because there's one person in there who's a betrayer. So even at that, imagine trying to share important, intimate things with people you care about, knowing that there's a person in the room that's a betrayer. Would you so easily want to share or would you want to get them out of the room first? Like, you know, can you step out? Because he already knew who was going to betray him. So these things start to make you wonder about what was going on in the mind of Jesus at that time. But he's going to wash their feet. And I think that the church has taken the concept of feet washing or foot washing or whatever the proper way is to say it to a whole different level. I think it's gone to a place where it's not necessarily what Jesus is wanting to bring to us. Now, not saying that uh, there is nothing wrong with washing feet. As a matter of fact, if any of you have ever washed somebody's feet, you, if you've never been humbled before, that is a humbling experience. Especially somebody you don't know. I'm not talking about washing uh, one of your real good brother's feet or you know, maybe your spouse. No, no, no. A person that you really don't know a whole lot. But, you know, today they'll have services and they'll call them foot washing services. And, you know, they'll pick a certain amount of people and they'll wash one another's feet. But I ask you this morning, what good does that do if the people who partook in that continue to just go back into the world and just live a life that is ungodly? It's not going to really do any good. So there's a symbolism behind there. It's the meaning of what uh, the Lord is trying to portray through this. But at the very end, he said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, he didn't say you're blessed if you know them. He said you're blessed if you do them, if you put them into action, if you put them into application. But it, first, you have to know them. Now, that goes with anything in Scripture, right? We come, we try to uh, exposit the Word of God, and, and we know a lot of people who can quote Scripture, and they, they know it, and they know church history, and they know a lot of things, but there's no application in life. Thus, there is no power either. Because power comes from application. I know what the Word of God says, therefore, I'm going to do what the Word of God says. Now, we've seen on Wednesday, when we're going through systematic theology, that to ignore this is basically being rebellious to God. Saying, I don't believe in you, and I'm not going to obey what your Word says. Even if it's just a small little part of it, like husbands respecting your wife, or women submitting to the men, or so many different areas, something that we think, yeah, even paying taxes. A lot of things that we say, yeah, this is good, this is good, this is good, this, I'm just going to set it aside. Now, when we do that, guess what? We're doing the same thing that the Pharisees were doing, because they were only picking and choosing what they wanted to do, but yet we're doing it in the name of Christ. And to that, Jesus told them, right, you hypocrites, you, you move 
land, you go through land and sea. You try to do all kinds of things to make people converts. And when you do make them come, you make them twice the son of hell that you are. Because they're not bringing a right perception to it all. So it's not simply just about getting water and cleaning somebody's feet. Now, yeah, the picture you see in there is right off the bat, humility. Humility, and that's one of the number one characteristics that God wants to bring to us. We see that Jesus did, right? He could have came in on a horse, but he came in on what? A donkey. And everybody got turned off and said, not at the moment, but the next week, what, what's he doing coming in on a donkey? Right? He humbled himself. And all over scripture, he humbles himself. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. See, and that's what God says about us. As a matter of fact, uh, the scripture says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So when we operate in pride in our lives, and pride comes in different shapes and forms, and we think that it's just one way, but remember, Satan, Lucifer wanted to be like God, and that was pride, and because of it, he was tossed out of heaven. Even something as small as saying, I know that I need prayer in this area, but I'm not going to ask for it. That's pride. Not humbling ourselves down and recognizing any kind of error that may be within. So we're seeing humility most definitely here. Now, a lot of people will say, well, you see servanthood. And yeah, you see servanthood, but I wouldn't say that it's just about that because then you can leave you, you, or oh, you can bring a good message about serving a really good message and you can bring conviction to people's heart about you should be greeting and you should be ushering and you should be helping with sound and you should be doing this. And then guess what? The majority of the church will help. But what if their life still stays the same all across the board? What good is that going to do? So it's not simply about servanthood, but everything in scriptures to get us to draw closer to the Lord. And he said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, what things? It's not just the washing of feet, but all the deeper things. And you'll be blessed, happy, right? That's the Christian happy. We all want to be happy, right? Who doesn't? Who likes to be unhappy? Nobody. Now, the Christian happy, we know that it is the word blessed. It's not according to our circumstances, right? It doesn't matter if we have light or water. It doesn't matter if... if the circumstance, if it's hot or cold, I am happy. Why? Because we're resting in the simple fact that I know God as Lord, as my salvation. Nothing else matters anymore. I mean, yes, it, it does matter, but not to that point. It's not gonna, uh, it's not gonna cause me to change my way of thinking. Remember the apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, I, brethren, I came to the state that whether I have a lot or I have a little bit, I'm happy. You know? I'm eating steak, I'm eating a can of beans. It doesn't matter. I mean, most of us are used to beans, right? We grew up, that, that was what we ate, right? Amen, yeah. We, that is what we, that, that's us. But then you can come to a point where I, that's not what I want no more. And it's real easy for us to stray away. Now, when we first come to the Lord, God gives us a measure of faith that he just, he's pulling us. He is pulling us. But then there comes a time in our walk where he says, okay, son, daughter, it's time to take the training wheels off. I'm going to let go of the seat. I'll be right behind you. You can do this. If you need me, just call on me. I'm not going to let you fall. 
but we got to take the training wheels off. And that's what God does. And he lets go of that seat. And now it's up to us to walk that out. And I think that's a little bit of what we see here. But we don't do that walk alone. We do it with the body, the body of Christ. So doing those things, we're happy if we do them. So yesterday we were having breakfast. And I started to put some pepper on my breakfast, but it's not coming out. But then I remembered, oh, yeah. And I flipped the shaker upside down. I grabbed the, the, the salt shaker and I started rubbing those little notches. And the pepper just started coming out. I remembered. I remembered and I put it into application. And what did that make me? That made me happy. If not, right, how many of us have been frustrated and this pepper is not coming out, right? And you're just trying to get it out. Well, the whole point is of it is that there's a lot of things in the Lord through Scripture that we don't know. So if we don't know them, we can't put them into application. So when you see someone, okay. And that is what our mission is, right? To find out what is scripture really telling us? Where can we use this scripture? Where can we apply it? Where can we not apply it? Where is it going to benefit us so that we don't end up frustrated? Because like you have people that constantly just want to proclaim and declare and receive and, 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 and when it comes to healing or financial situations and then it doesn't happen. And what happens? You have a frustrated Christian. And they think God's turned his back on them and that God has neglected them. But that's not necessarily the way that it works. Now, does God heal? Yes, absolutely he does. Does God uh, do all these things? He, Yes, yes, he does. But he does it according to his timeline, according to what he knows that if we need. See, God knows exactly what we need going back to, to the beginning again. So what I'm trying to say is when we know the scripture, we know what it says, we know, then we can put it into application. And that's a whole nother story. If we're going to put it into application because I could have just chose to continue to do this with the pepper shaker. But I chose and I remembered, let me put it into application. It may not seem like nothing right now, but when you're going through hell, when you're going through a situation or you're going through loss in life, and then you remember that scripture, I can use the scripture right now. This is what I'm going to pray. This is what I'm fixing to do. Then guess what? That happy that he's talking about starts to overtake our lives. And it might not show on the outside because we may still be weeping because of loss. But inside there is a joy and a peace in our souls. So it says that before the feast of Passover, Jesus knew, right, that he was going to depart from this world. And he said, uh, having uh, loved those that were in this world, he loved them to the very end. And the word means that he loved them to the fullest. As a matter of fact, the word also means that it's the end with which all things relate. I mean, it's like when he said it is finished is what he's talking about. The end of the cross. The purpose. Why did I come for? Right. He said, that's the purpose that I came for. To die on this cross. Now, we could say that we we love our kids and we've loved them to the end. I would probably argue a little bit and say, no, we haven't always loved our kids because sometimes we love them to a point of spoiling them. We give them things that don't necessarily improve them, but they hurt them. 
They bring more damage upon them. We think we're loving them because here I'm giving you this, but we're actually keeping them maybe possibly from a work that God wants to do in their life. So we're kind of a poor example. But Jesus loved his own to the very end, right? To the very point of the cross. And it says that the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, to betray him. And then it goes back to say that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that he came from God and he's going to God. So think about this. Jesus knows this. Everything's in my hands. All power is mine. I came from heaven. I'm going back to heaven. I mean, it would have been easy for him to just say, okay, let's wrap it up. It's a done deal. It's over. I'm leaving. Or I don't have to worry about this foot washing ceremony. What for? I, I know think it's mine already. It's in the bag. But that's not the mentality that he had. Or think about us. Would we think that knowing that somebody's fixing to betray us? No. Let's say we're here in this room and you know one certain individual. They're fixing to betray me. And it's not something small. This ain't cheating you out of 20 bucks. What would be your mentality toward them? What would be your thought toward them? Or could you continue to just be yourself? Because this is what Jesus is doing. So he's having to endure a lot of things within himself. But it says that the devil uh, put this into the heart. And we've talked about the Greek word ekbalo that means to cast out. That's what they cast out demons. It's, a, it's almost a violent happening. Ekbalo. This is similar without the ek because he's putting in balo. He's putting it in his heart. It means to throw or to thrust or to cast. So think of a fishing rod. When you cast it, you use a force to get it out there. And you don't necessarily care. Yeah, you're trying to get in a certain area, but you just throw it and it falls wherever it falls. This is what the devil did. He cast this into the heart of Judas Iscariot. Now, the irony in it is that it says that the devil did this. And we see that. The devil, right? We know him, the Diablo, right? Diabolos. That's exactly what his name means. Because it's the Greek words, dia, which means through, and balos, to put in. So he's doing exactly what his name means through these castings of, of thoughts and whatnot. And he put it into the heart. It means the innermost core of him. Not just a simple thought, but I mean, he really put it in there. To the point of a desire. And if you think about it, I mean, the heart, the heart itself is the center of our existing. Every single one of us has a heart in here and it's pumping. And everything else is operating because of that heart or affected in one way, shape or form. Now, this doesn't mean the literal heart that he put it in. But when you put it in spiritual terms, the heart is the the affections, the things that we desire. You desire to do the things of God or you desire to do your, your uh, will. Now for the Christian is to do the will of God. And what did he put in there to betray him? Now we've all been betrayed in this room. We all know what betrayal is. And betrayal brings anger and, and bitterness, especially the closer the person, oh, the greater the betrayal, the more the anger, the more the, the resentment. And I'm sure we've all even been betrayed by someone close to us as well. Now, Judas 
was close to Jesus. Remember, he carried the money bag. He walked with them for three years. And to betray means to deliver, to give over into one's power and use. And that's exactly what he did. He gave them over to the Pharisees or the, the, the Jews. And you would think, well, why couldn't they just do it without Judas? They didn't need Judas. I mean, he was publicly around everywhere. Couldn't they have just got him? But see, God always needs someone to either on this earth to either approve of him or disapprove of him. He uses people to get his will done once again. And it comes through. That's how God shows his glory. If somebody's going to operate evil or bad, he says, I can control either one. But you see, he puts something inside of us that gives us a choice as to whichever one we are going to do. But what about us? Have we betrayed Jesus? That's a good question. I know we're going to say right off the bat, no, we haven't. But when we have given his word of God that's been charged to us, when we give it over to someone else without that power and authority that it has been given, when we give it in the wrong way, that's almost the same as betraying Jesus because that's not how he meant that word to go forth. And we could say we're almost doing something very similar. The Word of God is betrayed a lot. Now, I'm not talking about if we do it accidentally, right? What I'm talking about is people who do it constantly, like the prosperity gospel. They're making the power of it for something that is, it wasn't meant for. They're changing it. So they're giving it over into the hand or the power of the minister. But again, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. I know if it was me, I'd be gone. I, I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to wash nobody's feet. Everything is mine already. It's in my authority. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. Sorry, but I'm not going to wash your feet. I'm gone. I think that's what you would probably say too, right? Think about it. You still want to humilify yourself and, and go to the level? Would you really want to? Probably not. The carnal man will probably say, no, I won't do that. But he knew that there was a purpose in it all. So he still knowing this, he decided to partake in this washing of the feet. Now, mind you, it is a very, very humbling experience. He could have taken a different route. Let's just skip this part and let's just... Let's just go on to the next part. But he chose not to. The same way that sometimes we choose to skip certain parts that inconvenience us. Things that hurt. We've mentioned before that we as humans try to take the path that leads with the least resistance. The easier one. But Jesus wants the one where he gets the greatest glory. It's a worn out path. And the worn out paths, they're very small. You got Those of you who have a little dog in the backyard, it's got a little worn out path and it walks that path all the time. And when you whistle and, and, he, and you tell him you've got food and you shake the bowl, he doesn't run through the grass. He runs through that little path. And it's a small, worn out path. That's the same way with the Lord. It's a small, worn out path. And it began to get worn out through Jesus Christ himself. 
And every Christian who walks it continues to wear it that there would be no tears uh, growing through there or weeds and we keep it clear. Or we could just run, let me take this shortcut through the grass. This is easier. I don't want to feel pain or I don't want to see this kind of catastrophe. Right? I don't want to, I don't want to endure four years of people in office that I don't agree with. Okay, so take it away, God. How does he get glory in that? Or how about when Christians can stand firm and say, look, whatever they change, whatever they sign, whatever they do, it doesn't change the fact that my heart belongs to Jesus Christ and I'm still going to follow him. And he still receives all the glory, right? That's easier. So in verse 4, I would say that we see, because Scripture is so wonderful that we see a bunch of, types and shadows and pictures and i would say that in verse four we see a small encapsulated picture of the gospel of what jesus said of jesus what did on the cross it says that he rose from supper laid aside his garments took a towel and girded himself so again knowing everything that's in his mind and 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 we get troubled about a lot of things he still rose up from supper he laid aside his garments, he took a towel, and he girded himself. So how do you see a picture of the gospel? Well, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, talks about a rod that's going to come forth from the stem of Jesse and a branch that shall grow out of this, the roots. So remember, Israel was cut down to a stump like the trees that we've cut down in the front yard or somewhere, and then after a while comes a rain, and then it starts shooting back up. This is Jesus. They, they prophesied about a coming king, and they were looking for the king. Where, where is he? But it's talked about King Jesus. He rose up from there. And Philippians 2.7 says that Jesus, not counting himself uh, not counting it robbery to be equal with God, it says, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He gave up all of his rights. He gave up everything that he had up there in heaven. Jesus didn't have the full uh, rights that he had in heaven while he was on this earth. There were certain things that he was limited to because he came in his carnal body. So he laid aside those things to come down. And it says that he took a towel. Now, if you look at the Greek, this is the only instance that this word for towel is used here. But a towel is what servants put on before service. A lot of us work in an industry where we use a towel and, and, and it's for service. Now, you could get into the fact that was Jesus crucified naked or did he have a cloth on? I, I I'm not going to try to argue that. I'm not going to get into it, right? It's not a hill to die on. It's not an essential to the faith. This isn't something that's going to determine if you're going to heaven or not. But could he have been crucified completely naked? Absolutely. That's where all the humiliation comes from. Imagine everybody is seeing this. But then you think about the laws of the Jews that they couldn't look upon the nakedness of somebody. And then it makes you wonder why well, I don't know. There is some commentators that say that this cloth that is mentioned one time is also symbolical of the cloth that was used to cover the genitalia area when somebody was being crucified. That's not my point, though. But taking a towel shows you that someone is becoming a servant. 
Now, how was Jesus becoming a servant? Well, absolutely by washing feet. But ultimately, he's becoming a servant because he is serving by what? Becoming the atonement for the sins of the people. Service on the cross. And he girded himself with that towel. It means that he made secure. He binded himself. And Peter says, gird the loins of your mind. And we, we've talked about that. It's like a belt, right? If any of us have never had a belt, then we can't. Uh, well, you see a lot of these youngsters. They don't have a belt. And you see how they're, they're unstable, right? And when you wear a belt, it helps you to be stable and solid. Your pants aren't falling down. Now, if you've seen somebody who doesn't have a belt, they can only use one hand because I have to hold them up and do this. And so it, 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 it limits them as to what they can do. So he girded himself with this towel. But the root word for this one word that's used means to take on a burden or to take on a bondage. For example, the yoke of the law. I'm fixing to take that on. So you see a small picture of the gospel there by him rising and laying aside his garment, taking a towel and girding himself. And that's the beauty of scripture is that you see these fingerprints all over the place. And see, that's what should excite us. That's what should cause us to say, God, I want to seek after you more, right? It's either going to draw us closer or it's going to continue to put us to sleep one or the other, right? And our goal is let's draw closer to God. Let that excite me. Why? Because I see and, and that only shows me more that this word is true. It's not a lie. I know that I've believed in the truth. So what he does next is he pours water into a basin. He does something doing the same word that the devil did. The devil bottled something into the heart of Judas Iscariot. Now Jesus is bottled water into a basin. They're putting it in. And he began to wash their feet. And that means not just that he began like when we start something, but what it means is that he, that it's the first in any kind of order, the first to do something, as in a leader, right? The leader is always the first one to do something. So that right there is even showing his, his deity, is showing that he is setting the path for us because we can all begin to do something. People begin to give their life to God, but they don't ever finish it out. They turn away, they walk away. But what about the scripture says that we can be confident that he who began a good work He's going to finish it to the very end. So then that might tell us that it wasn't the Lord that was building that house, but it was man. And that's why it's so easily to fall away. We don't want man to build our spiritual temple. We want God because that's when we can stand in the confidence knowing that God has saved me. God called me. And if he called me, I'm firmly placed in the palm of his hand and nobody's going to pluck me out. So he pours water into the basin, pours it over their feet, and he begins to wipe them with the towel. Now think of what a towel does when you wipe something. Of course, it's wiping the water away. But again, see, when we, when we study Scripture, the, the beauty is that we see the depth of these words because this word actually means to consume. 
And so he's consuming them by this washing, the service of washing that he's doing to them. He's trying to bring them closer. So he's not just wiping away water, but he is, in a sense, uh, bringing cleansing to them. Now, we know that in those days, people wore a lot of sandals. They walked a lot. This was a custom of their times to wash feet because the feet got really dirty. So they did wash feet. But there's something deeper into this that what Jesus was trying to do to his people. And actually, he said, you don't understand. But after this, you will. You don't understand what's going on. Just like today, some of us don't understand what we're talking about right now. Some of us don't understand when we read the Bible. Or some of us don't understand what happens in certain situations in our life. But after the fact, if we continue to seek after the Lord, we do have an understanding. Now I know why this happened. Now I know what Scripture means in this area. But Peter said, I'm not going to let you do that. Lord, you're the Lord. You're not going to wash my feet. He says, if I don't wash you, then you don't have no part of me. Basically, simply what it means is there's division there still. You're you and I'm me. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but it's completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Because Peter said with it, and if you're going to go there, go ahead and wash my head. Wash my hands too. Now, of course, Peter always goes over and beyond, right? And all things, I'm not ever going to betray you, God. And then the next thing he does is he betrays him. Shows his humanity, of course. But he said, not all of you are clean. And he said that because he knew there was one of them who was not clean. But yet he washed his feet. But it still meant that he was unclean. Why was he unclean? Because his heart was not right with God. Because he was the betrayer. And so it says when he had washed their feet and taken his garments, he sat down again and said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Now, we would probably say, yeah, you washed my feet. Oh, no, there's deeper, deeper meaning than that. Yeah, he, he, he's brought them some, some cleansing. He has approved of them. Of course, he was a servant to them by doing that. But there's so much there. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. You say that excellently, right? You say that beautifully. But if I then, and notice how Jesus changes it, because he said, you call me teacher and you call me Lord. But if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Do this, one of you, one to another. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you that a servant is not greater than his master nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. He gave them the example, right? Now, this isn't salvation that he gave them. This, this, this is a cleansing. He didn't wash their hands. Now, we read in Scripture where it talks about people's hands being uh, guilty with innocent blood and their hands need to be washed clean of it, but this, this isn't. 
This isn't talking about that. We've seen about the washing of the blood of Jesus. That's what makes us clean. That's what justifies us. But we're talking about a washing of feet. And when you think about the feet and you look at the gospel all across the board, there's something that I've mentioned before called expositional constancy. That means what a word means from the very beginning of Scripture, it's going to have the same symbolical meaning all the way to the very end, generally speaking. Maybe one or two times it won't, but generally speaking, the feet talk about a lot, right? The, the feet are part of uh, the armor of the Lord. Shotting our feet in preparation for the gospel of peace. The apostle Paul said, how beautiful are the feet of those who take the gospel. And so the cleansing of the feet. He cleansed them, the feet. They talk about our walk in the Lord. Because that's what our feet do. They take us to and from. And basically, what he's doing is he's, he's cleansing them so that their walk would be pure. But the thing is, is that we do walk, and yeah, we don't wear sandals no more, but our feet get dirty, spiritually speaking. Because we walk in a world that's dark, we walk in a world that is corrupt, we walk even in a Christian atmosphere that is so tainted that our spiritual feet get dirty because, yes, we're exposed to gossip and, yes, we're exposed to so many things that shouldn't be happening and, therefore, we need to have our feet cleansed. Now, Jesus did it to them, but he said, you do this to one another. This is where we're called to wash another's feet, not necessarily literally, but by what? What washes us? The water of the word. And so we're called to wash one another with the water of the, uh, of the word. See, we are called to bear one another's burdens. We're called to prefer one another. Now, how many of us are doing really good or even making a B in that area? Our brethren. Because there's some that can really rub us the wrong way. Yeah, there is. But we're called to prefer one another. As a matter of fact, Scripture will show us that we're called to prefer our spiritual brethren more than our carnal family. That's a really hard one to swallow, but that's what Scripture would entail. Because he says, especially to those of the household of faith first. Because we're not spending eternity with our family who is lost. If they stay in that lost state, we're spending eternity with those who are in Christ. And so what we do is we're called to bear one another's burdens, to wash one another with the water of the word. But how can we wash one another if we don't have any water? So we call to, that's okay. Now we're understanding the importance of studying the word of God, the importance of learning in depth of what it does mean so that I can have water in the basin of my heart. And now I can wash you, brethren. Uh, no, I'm not literally going to wash your feet, but I'm going to help you to purify or cleanse your walk in the area that maybe you're struggling in. Rather than to just come and say, no, well, you know, yeah, you're wrong here. You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't be doing that. But come alongside like a brother or sister and say, look, I, I care about you. I know you're struggling. Let me help you. Let me wash your feet, per se, with the water of the word so that your walk could begin to be a lot cleaner. That's laying aside our garments. See, because we have the garment of the righteousness of Christ. And sometimes we think, I, I, I'm saved. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. 
I'm saved. Let me just go to church and, and I don't have to mess with the rest. But sometimes we have to lay aside our garments. We have to lay aside our privileges, our, our blessedness and say, brother, let me come alongside you and let me help you. Sis, let me help you out. But how many of us have been abandoned by those people who don't want, they just want to, let me just, let me just carry my garment and move forward. Have that mentality. Let me take a different route. I mean, this is greater than uh, the military where if someone's hurt, they're not going to leave you there. And if they have to lose their life, they're going to pick you up and they're going to carry you. That's what we're supposed to be doing with one another as Christians, picking one another up instead of knocking one another down. But there seems to be more Judas Iscariots than true disciples. I mean, it's hard. That's where our carnality has to be set aside and saying, okay, let me help you. We have to open up our hearts to one another. The Apostle Paul said, oh, Corinthians, open up your hearts to us. Oh, since we've been with you, we've opened up our hearts to you. Because let's be honest, a lot of us want to be a little private. I'm not going to share my life with, because why? Because, well, I can't trust some of these people and that people because they're going to go tell so-and-so and and then so-and-so. And what's happened? See, the church doesn't look like what it used to look like. And I would say probably because there's not enough washing of feet spiritually. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of physical. I'm sure there's a church probably having a foot washing ceremony this morning. But that's not going to do no good when we continue to go and live our lives the way that we desire. But when we do it spiritually, that's when people can get stronger. That's when we can be uh, living the church, the function as in the book of Acts, where it said that they had all things in common. Now, ask yourself this a question this morning. Would you be willing, and I'm not saying that this is what God calls us to do, but would you be willing to sell your vehicle or to sell your home or your property, to sell it all and the money that you get, say, look, I'm going to disperse it amongst the brethren equally. That's a hard thing to do. I don't know if it would be that easy for me. Because we've gotten this mindset that it's just me and the Lord. Not forgetting that you're part of the Lord. You're part of the same body that I'm called to. So it's like, okay, as scripture says, why would we want to neglect our own bodies? But we would want to love them. And so the thing is, is that let's let's put aside all the, 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 the talk about being blessed and highly favored and the head and not the tail and all these things. But let's let's not forget about the body. Let's forget about heads and tails. Let's just talk about the whole body in general. Where can I help you, brother? Where can I help you, sister? Where can we lift one another up and bear one another's burdens? That's bearing the marks of Jesus Christ. That's what he came to do. He didn't just come for himself. Remember, he said he could have just said, I know where I'm going. Everything's mine already. See, those of us in Christ, our salvation is secure. We're saved. We're not going to lose that salvation. It's not going to be lost. Because if you can lose it, then you did something to gain it. Then therefore, it would be a work. So it's not going to be valid anyways. And if you don't have no security in Christ, then you can't live for God. That's why people are not living for Christ. Because they don't have a security. There's no security there. Like I told a brother the other day, uh, imagine a wife or a husband always being insecure. They're going to cheat on me. They're going to leave me uh, biting their nails. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But the woman or man who's secure and saying, I know my spouse is not going to leave me. No, they're not perfect, but they're not going to leave me. That's a happy man. That's a happy woman. 
They're going to function better. They're going to be better husbands. They're going to be better wives. But the one who's insecure, there's no security there. They're going to be unstable. They're going to be like that youngster without no belt and the pants falling down, trying to operate with one hand. That's not the way that God has designed all of this. Now, we come to a point where we got to get back to the centrality of Scripture. Back to Scripture alone. Back to what God is saying. Not what, not what I think it says. Not about what you can do for me, God. Now, God is a blessed God who blesses us abundantly. Matter of fact, I've challenged people before. Why don't you start praying for other people? Stop praying for yourself. Don't ask God for nothing. Watch what God starts to do in your life. Because God's concerned again with your character. Because you think he doesn't notice that when we pray, we simply, we ask a lot for us, but we don't really ask for other people. God, turn my electricity on. God, give me heat. Lord, don't let my water pipes freeze. And we're concerned more with us. While there's people out there struggling, there's 11-year-old boys dying. I wonder if that 11-year-old boy had a Christian neighbor who maybe could have gone and knocked on the doors. Is there anything we can help you guys out with? Maybe, maybe not. But we won't ever know if we don't engage in that opportunity. See, Scripture is not meant to condemn us. But by all means, the Holy Spirit wants to convict us. But a conviction means that we're going to draw closer to God. Because in the, there's a lot of talk of people say, yeah, that word was really convicting. That word was really convicting. But there's no drawing closer to God. They're mistaking that for condemnation. The word was condemning. Now, the word doesn't condemn, but our heart condemns us when we're not right with God. It shows us. But any conviction should draw us closer, in repentant, in tears. I don't care who's here. I don't care who sees me. I'm going to weep before God because they, he can do for me what nobody else can do. But here on this earth, we're not alone. Absolutely, we have God. But see, God wants to work through us. We're his hands and his feet. So we need to be there for one another. And I know that when I read that this week, it's, I began to feel guilty because I have erred in that area. Matter of fact, I wasn't very good to, to I, I failed immediately, I noticed it. I, I failed to check up on a lot of you guys and just to see how you were doing. Is there something that I can do to help? Because we get wrapped up in so many things. Just like last night, I got wrapped up in the fact that the, the laptop's not working and then this is not going right. And I'm thinking, oh, no. And then you forget about the fact that, hey, it's not even about that. Let there not be music. Our voices can sing to the Lord. We don't need music. But you get wrapped up on these little bitty things. And it's like I was telling Norma this morning, it's like that wedding, right? Everything was so beautiful. But the day of the wedding, I'm mad because the flowers aren't here. And, and the caterer is going to be late and, and this and that. And what happened? You forget about the beauty of the whole moment because you're focused on everything else. And so even through a winter storm, we can forget about the beauty of our moment with God because this and that and that. And, uh, I'm mad with the electric company and somebody better do something about this. Who cares if I get a $10,000 bill? Can God not take care of that for me? Can he not make a way? Can he not show them his glory through that $10,000 bill? Do it, God. Send me a $10,000 bill because I know that you'll make a way. Isn't that a promise that we can take from God? But we'd rather say, 
Make it a $10 bill, God. Then nobody knows about that. We'll want to give him glory. Oh, look, God gave me a $10 bill. Yeah, but who did that benefit? That benefited you. So it's all about perspective and all of this. But my point is this morning is that we need one another, regardless if we rub one another the wrong way. We've got to put things aside and we have to say, look, you're my sister in Christ. You're my brother in Christ. We need one another. Where can I help you, brother? Are you struggling in this area? Let's pray. Let's pray right now. Tomorrow, I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to check on you. I'm going to make sure you're doing okay. Not to condemn you, but to say, brother, you can do this, right? That's where Philippians 4.13 kicks in. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But it'll only happen when we make ourselves available to that. Again, when we make sure we have the water of the word in the basin of our heart so that we can help wash a brother or sister's life. God, we know the true, the true humbleness, the true humility in the washing of feet. But God, our prayer is that we would understand the, the deeper meaning there. God, you've cleansed us. And we know that your word has a lot to tell us about our walk, about our feet. It tells us they're beautiful when we take the gospel. But God, when we go out there in this life and we conduct ourselves, we carry our course of life, they become tainted. And you have designed the body of Christ so that we can tend to one another. As a matter of fact, it's only you working through us, God. It's not even us in and of ourselves. But God, we pray that you would help us to embrace one word this morning, one word, God, Humility, humbleness. God, we've talked about everything you endured from taking upon the sin of the world, from being spat on, from being flogged, from having your beard pulled, and now even, God, to be crucified naked on a cross so that the world could see in mockery, in foolishness, and still, God, we have the times where we want to think about ourselves rather than thinking about what you endured. God, when we consider all of those things, being without electricity is not so bad. Being without water is not so bad, God. But being without you, that's what's bad. God, we want to have a part in you. How can our brothers and sisters have part in the fellowship of the body of Christ if their feet aren't cleansed, we need to help one another, God. May that be the message that you speak to our hearts this morning, every single one of us, God, me included. Help us to rise up, to lay our garment of privilege aside, our garment of blessings, Lord, to gird ourselves with the towel of being a servant and to serve our brethren so that you, would be glorified, knowing that one day, God, we will all rejoice in the uttermost state when we stand before your glory, God. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for restored power. We thank you for uh, restoration, Lord, to our utilities. But most of all, God, we thank you that you saw us 
through something like which we endured. I know to many it may not seem like much, but it was great, God. It was a trying time. And Lord, if we feel that we failed, may we not be discouraged, but may we be encouraged knowing that when we run to you, there is always hope, God. You will teach us in all things and through all things so that we can be better men and women of God 